Praise the Lord, guys. Uh, you can be seated. Well, I have you do, though, uh, as a local body. If you want to, uh, if you don't have Bibles, you can raise your hand, and maybe I'll have uh, JD, can, oh, Matt, Matt, I can go ahead and pass out some Bibles to you guys. Um, while we're doing that, I'll give you the lay of the land of what's going on with us. Um, we, usually as a local body, uh, go through books of the Bible, as you guys are well aware. There's JD and Matt right there. Um, we pass out Bibles because we're going to have the scriptures up front, but we also want you guys to be navigating through your, your scriptures. If you don't have a Bible and you need one at the house, um, you can let us know. We would love to hook you up. But we do want you um, to just be getting used to um, going through the Word yourself. Uh, we usually go through books of the Bible and we expose it, which means you uh, see what the author's original intent was and pray for that and, and desire to um, share that with the body and then understand that original intent. And then after understanding that interpretation, um, trying to figure out how they applied it in the first century and then moving that to now and saying, how do we apply it now? That's our normal flow. Um, so we've gone through, <clears throat> uh, we've done Genesis, Galatians, Colossians, John. Um, we're right now in a book of Acts. Uh, we're riding around the Acts 17 chapter area. Um, so we've taken a brief, um, a brief hiatus, a brief uh, stint where we've um, stopped going through Acts because we have the beautiful season of Advent that have just come. Um, and that's um, right after uh, Thanksgiving. And then you have Advent um, for, for four or so weeks for you guys who are, are liturgically savvy. Um, and then what happens after um, Advent, you have Christmas. But then Christmas actually is not just, well, just think it from the perspective of, of our, our forefathers. Christmas, and from a traditional perspective, uh, doesn't just last on Christmas Day, but it's usually 12 days of Christmas. And you, um, you worship and praise Jesus for him coming as the incarnational uh, lamb that will be slain for us um, for 12 days. And that usually lasts to around uh, January 5th. And then what you have um, is you have the celebration of Epiphany. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Epiphany. And so I do this to make sure, because you know, I know we're evangelicals and we kind of just do what we want to do. And, and we're going <laughs> to, right, and, we're, and some of we're going to still do. Do that with um, hopefully some sense of humility in between, but I do want to make sure you're understanding our church calendar and understanding that there are, there are millions and millions of believers all around the world who follow the calendar um, to continue to retell the story of Jesus, um, to remind us of some of the, the very p- pivotal points of redemptive history. That makes sense, guys? Okay, so what we want to do, uh, what we're doing practically here is um, today we will continually talk about Christmas, but we're actually going to talk about Epiphany uh, this week. All right, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna talk about Epiphany. We're gonna then we're gonna head and have a, a little fun, cool thing that we're gonna do next week. So I want to make sure you guys we should be hopefully at full arsenal uh, next week with our crew back, pastors, you know all the good stuff, and then um, and then I want you to be inviting your friends. And then uh, the next week we're gonna have Vision Sunday, okay? And then after that we're gonna hit get right back into uh, the Book of Acts, okay? So that's kind of our 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 schedule for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll hit Acts. Um, until we um, hit the, the Easter season. Cool? So that's where we're headed. So today, uh, what I want to do is I want to um, t- have you turn to Matthew uh, chapter 2. Uh, if, there, if there are any more Bibles, um, your elder Alvin is, is asking. He can pass them out, but if you're, yeah, everybody's cool. They already passed them out, J, J.D. and Matt. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so let me, let me read this passage to you guys. And Epiphany, um, I'll explain in a moment. Let me just read this passage. Uh, verse, 
Verse 1 says, we're all there. Uh, Now after Jesus was born uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Uh, so you have uh, Bethlehem being the place where Jesus is going to be born. Herod is the king. Uh, he's, not, he's not the king, but he's the king over this little area. Uh, he's a Jewish kind of sellout dude who kind of wants power and prestige. And so he's running things, making sure that the Jews don't get crazy like the revolt of the Maccabees, which is back in the day during what they call the intertestamental period. It's where God wasn't speaking to his people. This is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and there was a huge revolt. And so what, what Caesar did was he said, in order to make sure people don't revolt and go crazy, um, We're going to still control the land, but we're going to put one of their own in charge who kind of makes sure that everything stays cool. So that was kind of the framework of the of the uh, of the polity in that day as far as the government is concerned. Uh, So behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Uh, For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Um, you know what? I'm going to be explaining these, pe- these, these verses, and I was, I was going to pray after I got done reading, but man, I want to pray before I hit the word and ask God's hand to be just touching us and to be preparing our hearts um, and so I don't get caught up in thinking I can just explain this stuff because I'm, yeah, I'm at the school or something. You know what I'm saying? So if you bow your heads with me and pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we pause and just want to humble our hearts and thank you that uh, you've given us clarity um, from your scriptures. And then what's so cool is that clarity is unclear without your revelation, without you being gracious and allowing everyone in this room uh, to, to actually see the word and not just read it and actually um, digest it, Lord. So we pray for that revelation. We pray that you would guide us and uh, helping us understand the um, your intent. You would encourage us. And Lord, I pray that you would use me by your grace Holy Spirit, I acknowledge that it's only by your grace that I can teach. And I'm not saying much if your Holy Spirit isn't empowering me. So we ask for that grace. And we pray that um, you would provide um, grace for these guys, the, the responsibility that they have as hearers, to not just be hearers of the word and not change their lives at all. But Lord, we pray that they would be responsible hearers and your Holy Spirit would provide a passion for them to be about your business. So we just pray that you be exalted right now. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. So verse 2 says, uh, so these guys, wise men come, came to Jerusalem saying, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Um, For we saw his star uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, the reality is when we talked about this sense of epiphany, I don't know if you guys know what epiphany is. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Um, Epiphany uh, is basically remembering, um, basically, that, that God revealed himself uh, to the Gentiles, okay? Or it would say that you know, God was that God actually um, not just revealed himself, but the point in that in celebrating that God revealed himself to the Gentiles, the point of that is that God is the God of the Gentiles too. And so there's this, this beautiful sense that, that, that we're celebrating that, oh, Jesus, he just didn't come for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles too. But also, we're celebrating the fact that God actually wants to reveal himself and show himself uh, to people um, who have no spiritual lineage, but yet he wants to grab them in as well. So when you think about epiphany, we're talking about the appearing of God, God revelation. The point there is that he wants to humble you and me, and also actually in this passage, the Jews, and understanding one huge thing is that you never discover God. 
No Christian has ever just was smart enough or was in the right environment or you didn't do a really good outreach and so people was able to get Jesus. See, that humbles us, right? Do you really think your human efforts can birth a spiritual result? Absolutely not. Now, we plant, right? We, 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 we labor hard, but we can labor all we want. If God does not provide the increase, nothing happens. So the reason why epiphany is so important uh, in, our, in our liturgical history is because we're reminding ourselves that, oh, the way that we become Christians, the way that we grow in Christ, God has to do something to us. We don't go and find him. You got that? So it's a big reminder that God is appearing. He's, he's showing himself. Okay? Now, you see this little passage here uh, where it says that, man, these, these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I feel like I'm Jay-Z up here. Can it come down a little bit or something? Thanks, brother. I don't know if, yeah. Maybe I'm tripping. Do y'all hear a little echo or something? Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Uh, it talks about these wise men from the east. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of the, the three kings, right? We talk about the three kings. There's a lot of different myths that come out of this, this passage here, right? Um, there's a lot of stories that there's three kings. The reason why they talk about that is because toward the end of this passage, we're going to see that they give these gifts, right? But we don't know if there are three kings. We don't know if there is three, if there is 10 or 15 or 30, right? Um, we also see that uh, we, we can go to some, uh, some extra-biblical resources, and they actually start describing these guys. But you can't really do that because the Bible doesn't describe them, right? And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to try to stay as faithful as we can to the text. And what we see here, the Scripture tells us that there are these, these three wise men, and, I, and we'll, we'll break that down um, in a moment. Uh, it says, these guys come, and in verse 2 it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So why was Herod the king troubled, right? Because he was a power-hungry dude who, who wanted power and notoriety to himself. He was a king. He was running things. And oh my goodness, if you're saying there's a king of the Jews, then who am I? Right? So he's struggling right now. Man, it makes me sad that I can't be the king of the Jews if there's another king of the Jews. But what's interesting, it also says that all of Jerusalem with him was also mourning. Which I propose to you is just God being prophetic in the scriptures of showing us when he talks about that even his own people kind of betrayed him, kind of dis- disowned him, right? That's the sense of man that everybody was sadly sad in the showing a need of all of us uh, for Christ and how when he came, people didn't recognize him. Um, verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ um, where the Christ would be born. All right, don't, don't miss that. You might want to circle that. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of, Ju- of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so they knew. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. In verse 8 it says, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen uh, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Okay, 
Uh, we can read over that a lot, but you got to kind of make sure you don't, don't lose fact of what's going on with the star, y'all. Okay? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joys, with great joy. And in verse 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay? Okay, so what we have here is we have these, these, these wise men, which is where uh, basically in the scriptures, the Greek term is, is magoi, right? And that's where you get this whole term, uh, the, the magi. That's where, that's, why, that's where that comes from, is that, is that people are just doing a transliteration. That's where you take a Greek word and you kind of say it the same way in English. Um, these guys are probably astrologers. Uh, these guys are from the east, right? It's pretty, we're pretty certain as theologians that, th- that these guys are from Babylon. Now, why is that really important that they're from Babylon? If you think about your Old Testament. I always tell our local body, if you're visitors, we always talk about how a lot of times in the New Testament, people aren't just coming up with new stuff. In fact, I haven't found times where that's happening. Is that everything is laced. That basically the uh, God's redemptive story is theologically fabricated together. Everything's fabricated together. And so when you see something happening uh, in the New Testament, I can guarantee you that you, I will show you remnants of the introduction in the Old Testament. So why? So, do you, you know, because, you, you know, without any, without any history, you just think, oh, these guys were hanging out, working one day, you know, and they was like, you know, playing horoscopes and watching, you know, Montel and, you know, that lady was there, Sylvia Brown, what's her name, you know, and it was like, oh, well, the, the star, oh, let's go see the star, right? Well, that necessarily didn't happen, guys. I want to propose to you, um, think about what Jesus does um, in the Old Testament, right? We have this whole covenant redemptive story of covenant sin, exile restoration. God provides a covenant with his people by his grace, right? He says, hey, I love you. I've created you. I want you to do great things for my glory to make people, make me known in people. And if, but if you don't, if you fall into sin, I'm going to, I'm going to, you fall into sin, I'm going to exile you, right? But I'm not promising that I'm going to restore you, and that's Jesus. Well, you have an exile period. So in the Old Testament, you have exile. Where do they go during exile? They go to Babylon. Okay? So what's going on in Babylon? Well, you're there for a long time. Who's one of our, our main characters that we talk about a lot in Babylon? Daniel? Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So my point in that is that, <clears throat> is that basically some of this uh, Jewish culture, some of these things that were, were, were promised, some of the things that were going to happen, I want to propose to you that they're probably talking about those things back in those days. How do we know that? Because we got the book of Daniel. <laughs> and we see Daniel preaching the gospel all throughout the book of Daniel. So my point in that is that these guys are pagan as all get out, but they have for some reason had had these stories because stories, unlike us, you know, we get caught up in Netflix and all this, and we're kind of, the, you know, theologically illiterate in a lot of ways, and we don't like reading books. But these guys, they told stories, and they understood stories, and they knew their stories. All right, so I'm proposing to you, just in a nutshell, the whole point in all that is that they just didn't drum up and want to see a star, but they had an inkling of the story, and so when God allowed the star to appear, they were ready. That's my point. Okay, so you got these magi people, these astrologers. What, what is going on here? And, and all of a sudden, I want you to notice a few things. You got these guys, they come and they say, oh, okay, there's a star, and they follow the star, and how long is the trek? The trek is about, you know, they, scholars would say at a conservative rate, it probably took them four months to travel to Jerusalem. 
Okay? So, you, so, these, so now keep that in mind now. Although they have some little traditions coming, these guys get this away, awakening, like, oh, my goodness, there's this star that's going to appear. They get excited. Now, do you think they were just sitting around waiting? They probably had jobs, right? They probably were doing life like you and I do life, right? Is that fair? They, maybe they had kids. Who knows? But what we do know is that when God revealed himself, God gave them the grace to stop whatever they were doing. Wait a minute now, Edith, and not take one day trip. Not say I'll be going for two days, but to take four months to search for the Savior. What blows me about that, what blows me away just is just the tenacity. I think it's fair to say to Paul's, you know, and not to and not to like get caught up in. I, I want to be faithful when interpreting the text, but I think it's okay to pause the implication here. The implication is the sense of like, I mean, one of the best ways that we can love and that you model that you love Christ is when you give him some time, right? When you show that you're committed, when you, when you show like, oh my goodness, like they stopped at nothing. They traveled. Do you know back in the day it was dangerous to travel? <laughs> so they went through all, who knows what they went through to get to that place. And oh, by the way, they were Gentiles, so they're going to Jerusalem, where it's probably the place where they're most hated, right? Or at least seen as beneath, right? But they don't care because they see they have this tenacity. God has given them the grace to go, I want to know where this king is. Who, who is this? I love the sense of devotion. Four months. Think about it. Think about, the, think about the juxtaposition there. So you got these guys go four months to get there, all right? Bethlehem is where the Savior is. Jerusalem is where they go. And you have the scribes and all the priests and all the leaders in Herod. How far are they apart? Five miles? Six miles? Right? I mean, Julie, you're the track star. I mean, how, how long would it take you to run that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about that. These guys took four months. They had that kind of tenacity. Whereas there was a savior five miles from individuals who had the history for thousands of years taught to them. And he didn't even move. He didn't even disrupt their life. They didn't pause and say, you know what, Lord, I know I'm busy, but I'm going to take time. Because I want to know where the savior is. You know, I, I'm just convinced that, man, devotion to a person, I think of putting it to the test is when you are willing to say, I'm willing to give of myself, of my time, of my resources for that person. The book, The Five Love Languages, you know, it's a, it's a very famous book. Cool, love it, but I, I think it oversimplifies something that, I, you know, it says like, it's almost like sometimes you read it and you kind of think, well, either I like quality time or I got to like gifts. And I'm going, you know what, I, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I buy seeing a good marriage where there's no quality time. I think it's fair to say everybody likes quality time. Right? I think if you're saying, hey, I really like you, I love you, I want to be with you, I'll see you in two years. What? I've never spent time with you. That makes absolutely no sense. Is that fair? So I just think there's something that's so, that's so beautiful of just seeing these, these, these Gentile pagans be willing to sacrifice and give up themselves and their time for a, a Savior that they don't really know about. They just have an inkling. 
We see this again, don't we? Don't we see this in disciples with the disciples? Right? This isn't, again, this isn't new stuff. We see, we see this with the disciples, don't we? Right? What happens? Jesus comes. And how does he grab these guys? He goes up to guys and just says, hey, you know. I mean, you think of the fish store. Hey, okay. Hey, trying to catch some fish. All right? I'm going to have them catch fish that's overflowing. Man, look at all these fish I got. Yep, come follow me. Right? And what does the scripture say? It says they stopped and followed him. They interrupted their whole life. Can you imagine? I mean, pause. Wait, wait. Yeah, remember, this isn't history. These people are people like you and me. They eat and they walk around. They use the bathroom. They're sitting around. They're going through their life. And some dude does something really cool and says, now drop your whole life and follow me. Stop. How many of you guys will do it? How many of you guys will quit your job? No, no, no. You wouldn't even like quit your job because you wouldn't even call in. They didn't go, they didn't go to, well, you know, I was talking with Jesus, and it's like I'm putting my two weeks notice in because I want to care. They just stopped. I'm out. Right? That, 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 that happened in history. Matt, you had a question, buddy? Great question, great question. I'm going to answer that in the text. I'm so glad. So the question is, was the star, we ask questions in our local body so we can understand the text. So this, was the star just reveal, revealed to these guys or was it not revealed to the Jews as well? How did they miss it, right? That's a big question. How did they miss it? I first just want to pause and just talk about, just before we go into the, the rest of the story, I just want to ask our local body and our people, like what drive do you have to know the revealed Jesus? What's your drive? What will you do? Right? Because how do we take that first century concept that we're seeing there? Right? You think, well, I'm already a Christian. Yeah, okay, that's cool. But now he wants to, can he, the whole point of Epiphany is that he's revealed himself. Is that he's saying, I'm here. I'm yours. My power is your power. Your story is my story. See, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about Epiphany is that, is that the, mag, the, the magi, the wise men's story is our story. Right? We're retelling that story. You, you, can have, you can retell it in two ways. You can retell the redemptive story of God appearing the Magi way, or you can tell it the priest way. Right? That's, those are the stories. That's, those, that's, those are the, the roads you can go down. You either, God shows himself to you, and you say, okay, well, now I need to change my life. Oh, now I need to ask the Lord to give me grace here. I need to see God do things here. And we begin to see God do a redemptive work in our life. Or we say, well, I'm going to go on like, you know, Life the way it just always is, and I'll kind of balance myself out and do whatever we do to kind of hedge our bets, but not really give it all over to Jesus. Just ask yourself, because my prayer is for our 2015, that, man, we would, be, we would be a church with tenacity, where people just see that we'll stop at nothing to experience Christ. We'll stop at nothing to see Christ be known in our community. And what's cool is I'm, I'm really hopeful. I'm really excited. I, this has been the most... This, this last half of the year has been so fun for me as a pastor because I've watched our body just begin to just, just, just get their life and begin to enjoy Jesus more and begin to learn how to, how to operate in a healthy rhythm. And, and I feel like we're learning and getting our identity tight. And it, it, it excites me and it makes me um, just um, excited to be uh, your pastor. Look what happens here. Time is huge. It leads me to my next point. Look at verse 4 and 5, y'all. Look at this. 
So you got these guys, they come four miles, I mean, four, uh, about four months of traveling. Verse 4 says, and this answers Matthew's question. Look at, look at what happens here, guys. It says, you know, so you got Herod, king, he's troubled. And then verse 4 says, in assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. Let me pause there. All right. You see what just happened there? Did you hear Matthew's question? Matt's question was, so what, what happened, E? Did they not see the star? Did God not reveal the star to them? Come on, I'm going to tell you, they, they had something better than the star, bro. Can you imagine? Can you, <laughs> can you imagine? So... So, the, so I love this. So notice the star. Okay, let's just, let's just paint the picture because I just think this is a crazy picture here. So the, the magi are hanging out. They're doing their work. Boom, the star. They travel for four, four months, okay? The star, now I don't understand what happens here. Notice the text. Don't miss the text. I don't know what happens here because the star is taken into the Savior, right? But they end up in Jerusalem. But, but the Savior's in Bethlehem. So what they doing in Jerusalem? You ever think about that? Because you think about it, you go further down in the text. What is it saying at the end of the text there? Go to your Bibles. Look at your Bibles with me. It says, it says in verse 9, right, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it rests over the place where the child was. Love this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So something weird happened there. Here is my proposal to you. I'm proposing that the reason why they ended up into Jerusalem was not for the Magi, but it was Jesus trying to reveal the hearts of the Jews. You notice at the end it says that they rejoiced. So I'm proposing that something happened where they didn't see the star. And then the star revealed itself again after they went to Jerusalem. Because if you had the star, then why are you asking for directions? So they go to Jerusalem, they say, hey, where is the king of the Jews? I'm proposing God led them to Jerusalem. He's like, hey, we're going to go to Bethlehem. We've got to do a stop here because I got to expose how sinful the world is. And I got to expose how if it, without me, you just not going to know nothing. So let's take a little commercial break. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And I noticed this and to answer Matthew's question. So then they get to Jerusalem and the guy hears about the Savior, and it says he's grieved, right, Carl, right? It says he's grieved, but guess what? He then inquires. Now, this is, this is crazy. Can you imagine? So he goes to the priests and the scribes and says, hey, so where, these guys are asking where the Savior is going to be. You know what they did? They said, oh, uh, oh, in Bethlehem. Hey, can I go back and watch uh, Shark Tank? That's what happened. They knew. They found it just like that. They told him, oh, yeah, the Savior? Oh, he's down the street. Oh, yeah, that, that one? They knew. And it, is, it didn't say, oh, and they didn't go, oh, man, we knew the Savior. I'm sorry. Let's go see him with you. They didn't, oh, none of that. There was no repentance. There was no acknowledgement of his kingship. There was no passion. There was no tenacity. There's this indifference. Here's your information. 
You know what I'm saying? And you know what's cool? I love it. They got the information. They said, cool, we out. You see the difference? The Magi, they got the information. They like, we're about to go. And other people stayed. Does that blow your mind? They had the scriptures. You know what? It doesn't say they hesitated. I mean, they knew. Isn't it amazing to you that they didn't, they didn't go with them? They didn't say, okay, man, well, can we go with you at least? Or, we gonna, okay, you're going to go on Monday. We, we got some things to do. We'll be there Wednesday. There's no acknowledgement of them ever visiting the Savior of the world. These are the priests and the scribes. You know what I love about this? Doesn't this tell you something about conviction? See, people talk, that's the thing. In the first century, you didn't have to argue this a lot. You didn't, I didn't have to help people understand what faith was and, and the difference between faith, you know, and not having biblical faith. But now we try to play these games. You really know what belief is. You know what faith is. But we play these games. Like, well, what does it mean to really believe? You know what it means to believe. This is what it means to believe. Is that, is that if you say you have faith, but you have facts, with no movement, there's no conviction. That's not biblical faith. You just have information. You have good theology, but you don't have biblical faith. Biblical faith has feet. When you say you believe something and you are not moving your feet, then by definition, you do not believe it. And so that's what Jesus is saying to people. You say, oh, I love Jesus. I want." And somebody asks you to tithe and you cuss them out. Oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I go to church and I do all these religious things. Someone asks you to pray. Someone asks you to handle relationships and, and be faithful to your spouse. And you look at them like they're being religious. We go through the motions and we play religiosity games, but then people ask you to be golly and then you, you dog them out like they got a problem. This is biblical faith. It's guys who are sitting around worshiping pagan gods, worshiping demons. They were pagans, guys. Remember we're in Acts? Remember when they went a little, a little further away from their little area? Everybody was wilding out because they were pagans. They didn't know God. And then God revealed himself to these people. And just like that, they stopped. And they went four months to find a savior. Just like that, with bad theology, they were worshiping stars. He, the Lord reveals their hard heart. The point, the reason why he stopped them there, he wanted you and I to see their hard heart. How hard can your heart be when you're five miles from the Savior? And you know where he lives, and you don't even go. I pray that our body would be a body who we don't talk about stuff. We don't just, we don't just do pithy things, and we don't just play religious games. We don't, you, you think you're doing something when you're in our community, and you think you're, and, oh, I'm in a community. But if you're not neighboring, if you're not caring for people, you might as well not be here. God wants feet with your words. He reveals their heart. 
Now, I always, my, my, <laughs> I always tell people, man, alcoholics don't talk about drinking. They do it. You understand me? He's showing us a difference here. And it hasn't changed today, guys. This difference hasn't changed today between people who, who, who talk about it and be about it. You know what's interesting? Can I, just, can I digress briefly? What time is it? Can I digress and just share something? Here, what's interesting here is notice everybody in the passage has strongholds. Everybody. Now, let me, let me pause and try and bring some definitions here because I think we misinterpret some words sometimes. So um, now hear me, folk, hear me here where I'm going. There, there are uh, words that I use a lot in Christianity, um, generational curses, right, and strongholds. Those are words used a lot. I think they're used a lot of times wrong, not biblical. So I'm going to try to, in a, in a cursory manner, define them and then show how it applies here. Now, a, um, um, a generational curse is basically um, an individual who is experiencing sins uh, within their lives, and they've seen those sins happen uh, through many generations, okay? Or I would say they, they're experiencing a stronghold, okay? So if you, if you say a generational curse, it's a stronghold that's happening in your life or in your family's life, and you, can, and you can track it back through our generations. Now, I don't like the term generational curse, but we'll use it. The reason why I don't like the term is first... Generational curses, you really can't know if it's a generational curse unless you look back. That make sense? You can't just have, you know, you can't be a womanizer and just want to blame it on a generational curse, right? Right? You can't just say, no, you, you look back and you'll see those opportunity things that have happened. My other issue with generational curses, when I hear it used a lot of times on TBN and, and people who want to use these words and, and probably your, your friend who clowned on you with the tongue stuff, probably will, will ascribe to this kind of doctrine. The, 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 the reason why we got to be careful using those words, um, and I even say strongholds, is because they give a sense that you're powerless. Okay? When someone, when you think of curses, and you think of the movies that we watch and we fill our minds with a bunch of st- stuff we shouldn't be filling our minds with, me too, so we can all confess, all right? You learn your understanding of curses from movies, all right? You think someone does something to you, and now you can't get out of it. Okay? And so if you have a curse, it's done and there's nothing you can do. And so when people say generational curse, I get frustrated because that's not the Bible's f- posture. Now, there's times where, where God does something to a person, but, n- but for the most part, generational curses or strongholds are not something that happened to you. So I want everybody now, when you think of strongholds, and that is basically, basically generational curses are just a lines of strongholds. So let me stay with strongholds, okay? Can I say that? Think of all your strongholds, think of them, and no longer should anyone in this room be blaming other people, okay? Because basically, the, the, a stronghold, the way you get a stronghold or a generational curse or is, is, is not someone doing something to you. Now, we're in a spiritual battle. Satan's real. People are evil. But the reason why you have a stronghold, which is a sin in your life, right, that for some reason is continually revealing itself in your life, and it's something that you are doing, and you know it's against the will of God. And one of some of the key, uh, key ramifications of strongholds, I just want to make sure I, I say this right, is you know they're against God, um, and you almost begin to think, this is when you know it's a stronghold, you almost begin to think that it's supposed to be this way. 
You almost begin to think, I'm going to be like this forever until Jesus comes back. That's when you know it's, it might, you, you probably have a stronghold in your life, right? So that's, that's you know, brothers, ma- guys a lot of time, mas- you know, uh, masturbation, okay? So you talk, I talk to guys, I counsel guys, and the way that guys talk about it is almost as if they believe, you know what, I got to just manage this sin. I can't see victory. So what I'll do is I'll kind of manage it, and I'll kind of have my little perverted lifestyle here and kind of try and be godly here because we, we, we've lost, because we stopped fighting. Right? Now, am I saying you might go to your deathbed fighting, fighting off a stronghold? But a key framework is that you've got to fight. Okay? So, 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 so I say that because a stronghold is, is something that doesn't happen to you, but now hear me. Strongholds have power, and this is why we do uh, uh, the belief system document in our book, in our discipleship binder. It's so important. We can get gloss over it and think, but I'm telling you, strongholds occur when whatever it is has your mind, right? And it begins to tell you that there is no victory. So you have a stronghold in your life when whatever you're doing has your mind. So let me give you an example. Now, there's a lot of external strongholds, but I'm proposing to you that they all have power in the mind. You know, what does that have to do with the Magi? Let me give you, I'll tell you, I'll say that in a moment. So can, can we just keep it real? Can I, go, can I go here a little bit? So there's some horrible things that happen to us. There's women who get raped, all right, and they, can, and they find themselves not being able to recover, right? There's young people who get abused, and they find themselves throughout their life having a stronghold in their mind, something saying to them, you're not valuable, because someone did this to you. There's molestation, right? And then Satan and people tell us, you're not of worth. Because look what happened to you. But the stronghold occurs when we believe it. There's a lot, guys. Again, I said being a womanizer... There's relationships that go awry. Uh, drug abuse is huge in my family. Codependence. Some of us right now, man, if someone left your life, you'll be in shambles. Right? That's a stronghold where you feel like your value and your worth comes from a person. Now, strongholds, these lies that we begin to believe because of what happens in our life, all right, they can be aggravated by people. Satan will, that's what he does, right? He takes those areas in your life and he continues to, to throw in things and try to confirm that this is not you, right? This, that this is, this is who you are. It's, you're not the child of God. They can do that. Satan can do that. He can use his demons and lie to you and people will lie to you. But the battle is in the mind. Now, why do I bring that up? And can I, can I just confess? I can confess one of my strongholds, right, where I believe lies. I mean, man, I can find myself thinking I'm real godly, and I, one of the strongholds I have is this insecurity about respect, right? Is that when I feel like someone's not respecting me, 
I, I turn into like a little baby and I, and I fight for my respect. And, and my wife has had to, had to deal with the brunt of that for years, right? Because, you know, it's not just when someone's, you know, being like, like malicious, but even when someone's not meaning it, like my sweetheart. I retaliate because I have an insecurity. I have an issue of knowing that my value and worth is tied into the cross. It's in who Jesus is. It's not in my wife thinking I'm the best man ever. So even if she is disappointing me in a scenario or shows a weakness in my life or, or, or shows something that I did that was wrong, it shouldn't wreck me. Right? But it does. And then in, and then in response, because it's a stronghold, I'm like, I retaliate, right? Why do I bring that up? Because you might ask yourself, man, well, how do you get rid of strongholds? What does that do with the passage? I I want to propose that everyone in this passage has strongholds. And I think epiphany is, is something that God is trying to tell us about how do we see these strongholds be taken out of our life. See, everybody in this passage, you got you got King Herod pride and a desire to want to have notoriety and to feel like, look, I'm somebody, right? There's his stronghold. Absolutely. I'm sure there's much more. But obviously, there was something that was in his life that wouldn't allow him to see the king. You see, the same with the priests and the scribes. Look how intelligent we are. We have the history. We know everything. We're awesome. And then you look at the Magi. Not the, they're not proselytes. They're not worshiping true Yahweh. They, they're worshiping created things, and they're going around, and, they're, and Romans 1 says they're just, they're just pleasing their self and their flesh, and they're running around doing whatever. Who knows what? And here's the thing, though. When you look at it on paper, who has the biggest stronghold? I propose to you the Magi. Do you know what's beautiful about that passage? is that no matter what you are going through, no matter what your situation is, you don't have to say, well, this is the one I'm in. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm proposing to you that God is showing that he took, as it were, and what he always does, an impossible situation where he took pagan people, he revealed them to, he revealed them not the scriptures. Jesus didn't come in a dream. He gave them a star. And that was enough to show God, just to show you and me, that with a star, with his grace and a star, he changed lives of people, and they sat down and worshiped their king. That is exciting for you and me, because it lets me know that when I think of my life and you think of your life, there is nothing that can hold you back from Jesus. And that actually, can I propose to you that we are holding ourselves back from Christ? And so what do you do? See, I'm praying for this 2015. See, I know there's, there's areas in, your, in lives in this room where people are still struggling with, you know, I, I, I did this sin, and, you know, people still are going to look at me a certain way. People are not going to really disvalue me, so I'll kind of hide it. I'm praying that God will release you. Some of us right now, we just think our value is tied up in our spouse, our job, some of us right now are just selfish, right? And it's all about you, and, you don't, and you're not serving or caring for people because you haven't dealt with this sense of like, no, actually, I don't want to be my own God, right? If I go around a room, here's the thing. Everyone in this room, you have something where you're like, man, Lord, would you deliver me from this? 
And the beauty of epiphany is that when we look at our gracious king, he's saying, I have the power to do so. Amen. He's saying, I have the power to do so. And so you think of your journey. Guys, I mean, my, I've experienced people who have been raped. I've experienced broken relationships personally. Being estranged from people for years. People lying on you and, 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 and doing things to you that, that are just horrible. I've experienced family relationships that are broken. And man, only if God would put blackboards all around this room and show your issue. I love the fact that these guys had strong hold of false worship. They were worshiping a false God, and God made them his people. And the people who had it all, but yet, for some reason, they didn't respond. So how do you, how do you break them? Guys, that's what I love about it, but that's what's so weird. And this is the hardest part for me being a pastor. I'm a control freak, and I cannot, I cannot get used to the fact that I can't change people's lives. Guys, it's been 20 years, and I'm still mad. I want people to be able to come to me in my office and say, Eric, I'm struggling with depression. And I want to be able to say, okay, close the door. And do whatever I'm supposed to do as a pastor and a priest. And I want them to leave freed up. I'm telling you guys, I struggle with that. I struggle with having to depend on Christ and having people come into my office with the same issue year after year, and I keep praying for them. And then God, for whatever reason, isn't allowing a breakthrough at that point. And I'm like, man, I, I know you're lacking faith, and I'm lacking faith, and just keep believing Jesus. That's my true testimony. But I believe Jesus. You know why? Because I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the area of lust and masturbation as we talked about that. And I've given my testimony about that, where I lied to the guys I was in Bible study for years. And finally I said, here's my struggle. And they said, "Woo, I'm so glad you told me because I thought it was just me. And I continued to struggle and struggle for years. And all of a sudden, I was doing the same things. I didn't change anything. I was income in the community. I was reading my Bible, seeking God in prayer, trying to live a life of ministry and faith. And God just, by his grace, just decided for it to go a week and two weeks and a month and a year and two years and I'm blown away that God has allowed me to be freed from those lustful sins not that I don't struggle but those lustful sins for years I'm blown away and so then when people come to my office people that I love who struggle with the same thing well I don't know what to tell them you know what I do tell them? my testimony all I do know is God tells us in his word, he says in 1 Thessalonians, that he's, he's, he's given you the power to, 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 to have self-control in 1 Thessalonians 4 and to treat your members of the body with respect and honor. And I just trust him and say, man, we've got to trust the Lord that whenever he wants to, he'll free you. What's my point? You want to see a stronghold be released in your life? Here's, here's my advice. First, we have to first admit that we have them. See, there's a lot of us, and this is what I've seen. I planted this church eight years ago. One of the saddest testimonies for me, guys, is I've been with people, and, and our, some of our friends have said this. And, guys, I, I feel like we, we, we preach the gospel here, and we preach God's truth. 
And, I, and one thing that kind of freaks me out, and I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out, is when someone can sit in our local, our local community for two, three years and, and, and be the same they were three years ago. You hear me? You hear me? You know why that happens? Because, because many of us, we come into the game, and we're just prideful. And we go, I'm tight. I know my issues. I know my stuff. I don't need to be sharing with everybody. I don't need to be experiencing accountability. And, and I, I know my doctrine. I, don't, I, I ain't going to be challenged. I mean, there's no way I could, be, I could have been believing something that was unbiblical for 13 years. There's no way that I could have the gospel wrong in some different ways for 25 years. I'm tight. Who, who can tell me? And I've seen people come, and we're preaching the gospel, and, you're, and we've got mad groups, and people have been living redemptive lives, and we're, t- we're, we're doing all this stuff. And then three years later, you're still seeing the same old silliness. What happened? And I'm not talking about, okay, there might be some flesh in there I want you to change because I'm preaching. But I'm just saying, man, God's truth is going forth. We should be different than we was last year. We don't admit our stuff. I'm praying that you would be honest, you know, and say, man, here's my issue. Here's, my, here's where Satan just has me and I fall prey. I am selfish. And I have the propensity to want to just protect and do my thing. And, Lord, would you? And I want to tell my spouse. I want to tell my friend. That's the thing. That's what's so freeing. I told Sarah the other night, you know, we had, we had an argument and, and um, and, and God has taught me to do this just to keep myself accountable because it helps me to put myself on blast. I said, baby, um, I'm just giving you testimonies of how God's working in our life. I said, sweetie, like, I just want you to know that my sin against you, like, I still recognize it as horrible. And I'm still trusting God for his grace to bring healing in my life. And I think what that did for her, because, you know, we got our issues. And the scariest thing is when you see someone keep hurting you in the same way, you wonder, is this, do they still see it as really bad? Or have they just said, well, this is who I am? Because when someone goes, that was horrible, I get it, I'm still trying to change, just give me grace here, that I, I, you're like, okay, cool, right? You, when someone gives you information, you can give grace. When someone keeps dogging you and they're like, hey, take care, you're like, you start, what are they thinking? What are they, what, do they really understand they hurt me? Do they, you know? And so for me to be able to put, put myself on blast and say, Sarah, so still call me out, sweetie. When my, my tongue is sharp towards you, say, hey, sweetie, you, you, you wouldn't say that to your parishioners. Say that to me. Keep calling me out because I'm aware. No one, no one, your stuff. Admit it, guys. Don't blame anybody. Look. I mean, I talk to a lot of, 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 of people, men who struggle with same gender attraction. I have some of them who, one dude, I give two, two stories. One dude fighting hard, just keeps fighting. Brother, like, man, I'm tired of fighting, but I'm going to keep fighting because I believe in this, the grace of Jesus. He keeps fighting. He's like, man, I'm, I'm lamenting the fact I probably won't ever get married. I've been on all these dates. I don't like these girls. I, I guess I'm going to have to be celebrated for, for God's glory. So he's choosing Christ instead of having. Uh, a marriage, right? Another dude said, man, this is jacked up. You know what? I'm so mad at my uncle. He did this to me when I was younger. I wonder if that, you know, and he starts blaming. Now, 
him being molested when he was younger, it's horrible, it's deplorable, okay? But the thing that you and I have to understand as we walk with the Lord is at some point, you got to own it. It's hard to hear, especially for some of us who've been really hurt. But I want to propose to my one friend who's now in his 30s, at some point, what happened when you were seven is going to have ramifications, but now you got to go to Christ, and you got to keep on. At some point, God is going to say, "How did? what's your responsibility? So in all of our pain and hurt, I've been hurt by people, lied upon. I know you guys have too. In all of our pain and hurt, you still have to not blame. You have to own your own sin. Does that make sense? And then see what God says. See what God says of those issues. All those areas. Go to the Word. Put yourself in community. And then finally, ask God to change your mind and your environment. Put yourself in the midst of covenant community people. Surround yourself with people who are talking about Jesus and thinking about God. And then continue to ask God to change you. God has to do it. God has to do it. See, Jesus revealed himself to you guys. And I just want you to ask yourself, what, what, what hinders you from responding with the attention that's due a king, right? Epiphany is about not just Jesus appearing, but Jesus showing you he appeared with power. And so now you have to understand there's nothing that can hinder you from Christ, right? Because he has all power. He can bring healing. He can make you alive. You can't do this in your own flesh, but praying and committing to God to get rid of these things so he can free you to actually enjoy his appearing is my plea, is what I desire for our local body. Um, That's my prayer for this body is as we think of Epiphany, as we think of God appearing to the Magi, our story would be the Magi, not the priests. We'd be willing to go four months not knowing what's going to happen versus really not caring and being indifferent because the Savior's five miles. My prayer is that when we know what God has shown us, we'll put feet to it. So in each one of your lives, you put feet to your faith. My, my prayer is that you would know that he's broken the main stronghold because you're alive in Christ and now there's these other things and, and if he's made you alive in Jesus, he can free you from all these other things. I pray you'll be encouraged. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, I pray that you're appearing. You're appearing to let, to let the world know that you're saving Gentiles too. You're saving people who who don't want to listen to you, who don't care about you. Um, you're saving those Jews who, who had all the history. You're doing a work. And Lord, we pause to just remind ourselves of the gospel. You're doing a work because of the fact that you created us with love and purpose and value. And then you, you, you gave us a world, you gave us bodies, and you gave us all creation. And then we had the audacity to think we could be our own gods, Jesus. You should have killed us. You should have destroyed us. You could have, but you didn't. Instead, you continue to lavish your grace upon us to allow us to see our sinful ways 
to acknowledge that we do need you to be in a world that was being continually destroyed and decreated as it is now, and you brought Jesus. Thank you for bringing Jesus. Thank you for bringing him to save the world and all of creation. Thank you for having Jesus down across for our sins and become validate himself as our Savior and Lord. Thank you for not allowing us to have to just jump through hoops and make ourselves perfect, but in our brokenness, in the midst of our strongholds, thank you that these pagans went to worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you catch fish and then you clean them. You're so good. Lord, I pray that there's anyone right now who has not experienced the saving grace of Jesus, the doctrine of grace, that you died for them, and that if they would believe that you are their Savior, if they would confess their sins, the Bible says, and we repent of our sins, you would forgive us of our sins, you would come into our life, you would make your home with us, and you would you would replace us and put us back on track. You will make us alive in Christ. We pray for that. And I pray for the body, our people who love you, Jesus, who are pursuing you. Lord, I pray epiphany wouldn't just be for just the gentle pagans who now know Jesus, but it would be for all of us, that we would all remember your appearing and that remind us of your power and that we don't need to walk out of here with any shackles, but we can walk out of here free because of grace. Would you do that, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.